Welcome back to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions, Alejandro Arenas. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me be back. We are so excited to have Alejandro back with us on a topic today where you are calling fun with arranging, reimagining existing composition. Participants are muted for the courtesy of the session, but if there are questions, we'll get those to Alejandro. We love your feedback. Info at clearwaterjazz.com and check out all our online resources, including the studio where we archive all these past sessions after today. This one will be up there. And the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions podcast. There's about 80 or so plus segments up there, including our Stop Time series with Frank Williams, which is a historical, pretty comprehensive um, history of jazz through time told in Frank's one-of-a-kind style. So check out that on the podcast. And those resources are brought to you by Blue Water Wealth Management at Steward Partners and Marine Max Clearwater. Thank you for that great support. Big shout out too to the Al Downing Tampa Bay Jazz Association for helping with these sessions. And we are going to get right into it with Alejandro. Alejandro has done several past sessions with us. Check out in the studio Bass Styles series, an approach to playing swing, funk, and more, an approach to playing Brazilian and Latin grooves. Bass sound from pickup and amps to technique and more. History of the rhythm section. Harmony, a bass perspective. And his last session, musical composition, approaches and ideas. All wonderful, really great sessions. Alejandro was born in, in Colombia, where he started his musical career playing flamenco and classical guitar. He picked up the bass while he attended college in Bogota, where he performed in the salsa and Andean music ensembles, as well as the school's orchestra. During his high school years, he performed with different independent bands and styles, ranging from salsa, blues, rock, heavy metal, and everything in between. Upon graduating high school, he moved to Gainesville, Florida, where he worked as a freelance musician while being exposed to different genres such as reggae, jazz, and funk. He earned an AA in music studies from Santa Fe Community College, where he worked unpacking books in the morning, studying during the day, and playing gigs by night. In the midst of this chaotic time in his life, he developed a deep love and passion for jazz, which drove, drove him to play the upright bass. He holds a Bachelor's of Music in Jazz Performance and a Master's of Music from the University of South Florida. During his studies at USF, he toured Italy, France, and Germany with the Jazz Ensemble One and the Jazz Tet performing at different jazz festivals. In addition to being an adjunct professor for the Mira program at St. Petersburg College, Alejandro is very active as a versatile performer working with many artists. He also co-leads the award-winning group La Lucha, who, by the way, has a new album out, Everybody Wants to Rule, Rule the World, which has had wonderful success on the charts and is a phenomenal, phenomenal album. So please check that out wherever you stream your music. And lastly, Alejandro has been a regular part of these virtual sessions, but also our Young Lions program in the traditional sense. Um, we have an event in December of every year at Ruth Eckerd Hall, our wonderful partner, and we invite lots of schools to participate in that. And Alejandro has been an active participant in that, as well as when we go into the schools with school visits. So Alejandro, thank you for being a special part of our outreach. Welcome back to these virtual sessions. The stage is all yours. Thank you, Steve. Uh, always glad to be back, of course, and uh, talk about things uh, that I love. But this is what today's topic is actually one of my favorite ones, which is arranging. And um, arranging is kind of really a way that music has stayed fresh. I think I mentioned in one of my past sessions that, um, you know, specifically in jazz, um, we keep kind of reinventing all these standards that have been around for a long time. So arranging them um, is a way to really differentiate yourself from other musicians that may be playing the same song. Um, so it, it is a it arranging can be it's subjective just like composition you know what makes a good arrangement what makes a bad arrangement uh that's all really to you know for the listener to decide <laughs> um but 
what I want to talk about is a little bit of how I approach arrangement, uh, arranging from my own perspective. I kind of have a, as Steve mentioned in my bio, have a kind of a little bit of a self-taught um, background, but also, you know, I went through college, got my bachelor's and master's in music. Uh, but before that, I was pretty much self-taught. So one of my the driving things for me to play music was always write original music but also to make original arrangements i didn't particularly like doing just a a a note for note cover of a specific um song um i always kind of liked the idea of making it my own and arranging is a great way to do that to get an existing composition and make it your own so i'm going to talk about a few different things but one rule that I that I try to adhere to um, is to kind of keep the melody as intact as I can, as, as the composer intended it to be. Now, what does that exactly mean? It, you know, because singers actually, when they interpret a melody, they don't don't always stick to a melody verbatim. You know, uh, Ella Fitzgerald famously would sing the first eight section of a song a certain way, like kind of pretty pretty straightforward the way it was written then take a little bit of liberties as she went through the song and a lot of singers do this you know but you know from a singer's perspective you're also singing lyrics so the song is not only recognizable by the melody by also but also by the lyrics um so that changes once you're trying to arrange something for an instrumentalist so that's where i try to kind of find how the melody sounds in its purest form and try to stick to that now that doesn't mean that the melody is not going to change so there's a couple of different ways that the melody can change which i'll talk about in a second but um the well actually thinking about that from the perspective even even the same um, i'll use an example that's interesting uh the girl from ipanema the original um it's actually it's not the original recording, but the most famous recording, which was uh, Joel Gilberto uh, with uh, Stan Getz and um, Antonio Carlos Jobim. And there's two versions uh, of that song. And actually, I think both, if I recall, there's a Portuguese verse and there's a, a Portuguese lyric and an American lyric within the same recording. But in any case, there's the American, the English version, sorry, which Astrid Gilberto, Joel's wife at that time, sang. And then Joel Gilberto did, you know, the Portuguese version and and within the first line there's already a difference in the melody in terms of the number of syllables that they use because of the different in languages so you know the American way is so tall and young da, 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 da. right sorry I, I don't remember the lyrics exactly and you don't want to hear me sing for longer than that but in Portuguese you know there's so you have like pa 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 and the portuguese is pa pa da 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 you know loosely around that so there's already a significant difference there in terms of the number of syllables being used however the melody still sounds the same because the essence of the melody is there, meaning the, the shape and contour and how you reach the notes and all of that, it is there. So it is recognizable as being the same song, just sung in a different language. Um, so that is something that I try to adhere to when, you know, if you're arranging a lyric, a song that has lyrics to do an instrumental version, that's a place where you can take some liberties starting with. So you don't always have to be sometimes certain repeated lyrics um you know that's why like why like songs that are kind of based on like a hip-hop melody or something like that are kind of hard to arrange for an instrumental not hard but to me not as not as much fun because you have a lot of repeated notes unless it's a very interesting rhythm it can sound very rhythmic and that's fine you know there's there's nothing wrong with that you know, that's just that's just a challenge um if you want to adhere to you know to some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about. So, uh, first thing that I that that the easiest thing that you can change, or the the easiest way to give a song a different sound, is changing the harmony, which is what jazz musicians tend to jump onto first. Or maybe that's a vast generalization, but that's kind of a, a good way to change things. So, I want to use an example of a very simple melody. This is not a jazz melody. This is actually a pop melody, and it's a uh, 
Paparazzi by Lady Gaga. Um, I actually did an arrangement of this song on one of our uh, La Lucha records, but um, the the melody at the beginning, the verse is fairly simple. It's just two notes. Um, I'm going to try to play them here on the keyboard a little bit. Um, So up to there, it's a very repeated melody, right? Right? It's a fairly simple melody. So a good way to kind of make that more interesting um, is by, like I mentioned, changing the harmony. But basically, that melody just sits over uh, a C minor chord. Oops, sorry. That's not what a C minor chord sounds like. Up to there is just one chord. So one way that I that I uh, found, you know, one way that I like to work, and I actually went over this on my composition masterclass, um, it's the same approach. If I have an existing melody that even I wrote, I still go through this process sometimes of trying to find interesting ways to harmonize it. So I go just play left hand bass. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a keyboard player. I can barely play the keyboard, but yeah, I know how to play some chords and stuff like that. But the reason, yeah, I just don't practice it. But uh, I'll take the bass notes. That's a C. Then I play an A flat. So that's three chords there that I can, you know, it already has a different vibe to me, you know, instead of just right, you got to have this Right, it's it's to me it's more intriguing and and kind of has more movement, of course. Um, so what I do from then on, I have a bass note that works really well against the melody. And the way I, I figure that out, I kind of just you know I know the arrangement, so I went through that. But when I first started doing this, I just literally just kind of started playing whatever note on the left hand that my ear kind of wanted to take me to. Um, but I settled for that. And what I did is that I just found out what chords work with those. So if I'm playing a C on the bass, I can use my C minor chord, which is the original. That's how I started. And then the next chord would be an A flat major seven, which actually works with the G and the C. And then the next one would be a G minor seven or G minor 9, if you want to include the melody. So, right, so you have kind of three chords there. Okay. Uh, the 7 there. So, that already kind of gives you a completely different vibe for a song that already started, and I did not touch the melody at all. So, the melody is what it is. It already exists and it is the way it is. And, and, and I'm not changing anything dramatically around the melody. I'm changing the context in which the melody is presented, which is really, really important to understand. So, okay, so that's harmony. That's something you can do with a harmony. Um, I'll play a quick example of something similar that I did and actually f fairly similar chords, I guess, to a certain extent. Same key. Uh, I did an arrangement of She's Like the Wind, which happens to be a song from Dirty Dancing, <laughs> written by Patrick Swayze. So again, I... I, I Woohoo! <laughs> nice work, Alejandro. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I, like, I like taking all of these um, songs that don't fit within the, within the jazz repertoire and make them fit somehow. And harmony is a great way to do that because we can get away with a lot more... Uh, uh, thicker harmony within this. So here's a, a, a short thing. I'll play a little bit of it. Uh, has a little bit of the bass intro. I played this on a six string bass and the piano plays the melody.
And so that's kind of the how the melody is harmonized. Now, you know, I don't want to play the original song because um, you guys may get sued <laughs> for putting it in. I don't know. So I don't know. But in any case, uh, if you feel like watching uh, Dirty Dance, you can go back and listen to it or just look, look it up on um, any streaming media. But in any case, um, She's Like the Wind was this song. We were doing an 80s show and we were looking for ideas. And this was just kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. I'm like, oh, this, this, it's a cool song. It's a, it's a nice melody, very nice melody. And I just said, so there's two elements to this arrangement. One of them is that the bass is really kind of doing what the piano would usually do. So I'm playing some arpeggios and I'm playing bass notes at the same time. Whereas the piano, when it comes in, is just playing single note lines, like, you know, like a horn would do or something like that. Um, and then eventually the bass kind of starts playing its own role, just playing bass notes and the piano starts playing the chords. So that element of, a, of the arrangement is already kind of different from you, what, what you would usually hear because um, you have a different timbre that the bass is, is producing. Um, and the roles are not reversed, but it's it's a little different thing, and it gives you somewhere to go, especially when you're arranging for a small group. It's okay to play with less information and then increase it. So, but but you know, I, I talk about contrast. If you play less, it'll give you a chance to get to play more. So when you play your notes that are uh, when you play more notes, it's going to be more meaningful or more noticeable, if you will. But if you stand from the beginning just playing all of these notes, then, you know, those, the, you know, the listener may may lose track of, of or may lose the attention of the listener. In any case, so uh, a couple, uh, another thing that I did, I reharmonized that, again, uh, it's another song, and I think the original is in C minor, but um, same thing at the beginning, that little line that I did on the bass, usually only has a couple uh, it's just two chords i think um uh, i don't remember what uh, <laughs> how to play it sorry i suck at keyboard yeah that little line it's just that line over one chord and then another chord after a little bit, but it's only two chords. And I play, I think in that intro, I play like, um, maybe eight different chords. <laughs> now, the point of that, you know, it's to create some bass movement. I, I don't want the listener to get, um, my goal is to the listener to still understand that as, a, as, a, as an accessible song to not be so obscured by the by crazy harmony that they are like, what is this song or you know, anything like that? Because you can also use harmony to obscure the melody very dramatically. So you gotta be careful with that. Uh, in my opinion, again, you can do whatever you want with your arrangements. That's the listener decides if they wanna listen to it or not. But I like to keep and still have a clean melody, but make it interesting. Um, another thing that, that you can change uh, is the meter. So uh, meaning if you take something that's in 4-4 four, four and put it in 3-4 or 5-4 or a bunch of different ways. Um, I'll use another example. So there's a song called I'm So Tired by the Beatles. Um, again, these are all like pop songs. Um, and the original has a 12-8 feel. It has this boom, boom, I'm so tired. That's the original. Alright, so now I did an arrangement of this in three and then goes to four. I'll play a little bit of it. Bass intro surprise. And this is with a great singer that we recorded named June. I'm so tired. I haven't slept three. So tired, my mind is on the brink. I wonder, should I get up and fix myself a dream? It goes back to three. I'm so tired, I don't know what to do. I'm so tired, my 
the bulk of the song so I just kind of had this idea of this bass line um, a, a lot of my arrangements will start with the bass line sometimes just like a little riff that I can uh, build up on, on I can build stuff on so this one I think it just starts with bass and vocals kind of creating almost like a contrapuntal thing um, and again I'm playing with the idea of playing with a with a triple meter going into 4-4 four four. Um, you know, and the idea when I when we do that as a group, what we try to do, and, and as an arranger, I try to write it in a way that um, it's seamless, that you don't realize that something's funky and weird and 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 anything like that. You can still listen to it and and be and be a pleasurable experience for you as a listener. That you don't have to understand music theory in order to understand the arrangement. Um, so. That was pretty. That was sticks pretty similar uh, with the melody as far as as what you know the phrasing of what June was doing. Did you know she has her own phrasing, but she sticks pretty close to uh, what it is. Now I'm gonna play you another example here of doing something different with the melody. I mentioned how you can change the melody in different ways. So uh, this next one I'm gonna play is Lullaby of the Leaves. Uh, um, Again, you know, if you if you want to kind of hear, if you're not familiar with some of these songs, this this is a jazz standard. And if you're not familiar with some of these songs, I encourage you to kind of go back if you're watching this on, as a as a recorded um, session, go back and listen to the original and kind of listen to these arrangements I'm going to play, so you get an idea of what it is that I'm doing. I'll try to explain it, but it makes more sense if you know what it, the original sounds like. So, uh, Lullaby of the Leaves. What I did. This is actually an arrangement that kind of just I wanted to do something to feature our drummer, Mark. And originally this was like a fast swing um, thing and it just kind of evolved into this Latin um, salsa type of vibe. And what it is that I take the melody and I'm, I'm the note, all the notes of the melody are there, but the way the melody is phrased um, in rhythm is very different. So. The melody of this usually is loosely something like that. Um, and this is kind of what we did with it. So what you're going to hear is a phrase of the melody, then like a drum, um, like a space for the drums, then another phrase of the melody, space for the drums, and then we get to the bridge and same thing kind of happens so here it is So up to there, one of the things that I did was um, I played like a short version of the melody and then a long version. So I did like a that's kind of the short one. So it's all kind of up, uh, syncopated stuff, uh, syncopated rhythm and, and all quick. And then the response to that is long. Right, and then the second A, which is the melody, is exactly the same. I f I do the opposite. I do a long version and short version. So I I do pa 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 pa, and then pa da pa 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 da pa 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 da 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 etc. Now the br the bridge on this song is actually um just the the rate. So if you're playing pa pa da da pa pa pa. And the bridge would be 
something like that. So what I did is I took the melody at half time uh, on the bridge, which is going to start playing here. the very last section of it uh, what I did is I did the two short versions so of the of that melody so each a section you know it's a, this is an a a b a form which means you have melody a second a repeats then there's a bridge which is the b section and then there's a last a which is just like the first two a sections I think it's I, I don't remember it's identical but uh, usually a lot of these standards will have an AABA form, maybe like an AABA prime with, with like a little different ending. But um, for the sake of, of, the, of clarity, AABA, so, uh, and the last one, so each A in this version is different, uh, which was kind of hard to memorize because there were, you know, <laughs> once you think you got it, you, you, the next one, you don't, you don't have it. So... Uh, but it's a lot of fun to play and um, you know that's just that that's one way that you can change a song without changing the pitch of the melody but you're changing the way you phrase it so that was kind of a a, a mixture between elongating the melody on the bridge which I'm taking playing at half time if you will and I don't think the whole thing was half time it was just a pa 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 usually it's pa da pa da so and um I didn't do a lot of uh, reharmonizing in this. If you notice, basically it's being played in 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 unison. That's another element of that arrangement that we are playing it. Um, all where all the instruments are playing the melody. Uh, this features Chuck Red on vibe, so he's playing the melody. I'm playing the melody on bass. John is playing the melody on piano, and Mark is kind of playing around the melody but he's actually catching all the stuff that we play together so um there's really no harmony in that there's no chords um and actually this goes this became i'll play what what happens exactly where i stopped the recording which is this so that goes into lullaby of birdland which is a completely unrelated song other than the title is Lullaby, as well as, you know, Lullaby of the Leaves into Lullaby of Birdland. I don't remember how that ended up happening. That was happening. That was just a group decision that we made at some point. So there's a way, there, you know, that that's just one thing that we did with that. Um, so, you know, just by focusing in, oh, and of course the feel, you know, that the original on this is... Um, Actually, I don't, some of these old standards, I don't know the exact feel of the very first recording of this, but it's usually played as a, in a swing feel. A Lullaby of Berlin was definitely a swing um, uh, feel, you know, so we just changed it into like a salsa or Latin groove. Uh, and that already, you know, that kind of makes it our own. So a way to, so since this is kind of the only standard I, 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 I have talked about so far, um, one way to reimagine standards is the same way, like what I said, you know, about the melody, the harmony, um, the meter, you know, um, but also kind of looking at um, if you are adapting it to a specific style, for example, if you sometimes we like to play like a funk version of a standard. Now, what happens sometimes with, with, when you change the feel is that certain chord progressions sit better in certain feels. So funk tends to have less chords than a jazz standard. So um, a good way to kind of find out is find like common pedal points or, or stick to the dominance. Like when you have a 2-5-1, uh, 
um, kind of just on the bass, just kind of stick to the dominant and make it more because a lot of funk tends to be kind of static. Um, and I personally feel sometimes I kind of feel, you know, that it would it sounds better when you kind of emulate a little bit of the feel of the harmony uh, of a funk tune than just take a straight idea of, okay, this song has a bunch of two fives. Let's let's you know let's just change the feel and still stick to the same chord progression. I always feel like it works better when you can get into that. Now, what happens a lot of times in jazz is that you'll be at a gig and you just look at each other, you're like, hey, uh, let's try this song in this style. You know, so that's, you know, when you have a group um, that works together often, you can have a lot of things that happen that way. Uh, like La Lucha, we get we get to work together a lot so i'm going to play you a quick thing here this is an, a standard called have you met miss jones and this arrangement kind of came together when we were um at a gig and we called the tune and i remember i said like hey let me set it up i'm going to play like a funky bass line and this is it, the the arrangement almost came entirely this way on the bandstand obviously very sloppy at that point because we hadn't agreed on stuff we were just kind of doing things but this is kind of the end result of how, what this happened with this so having met miss jones So that, you know, I would say the bridge on this, we, we took a lot of liberties with the melody on this one, you know. Um, and again, sometimes you get away with that if it's a song that's really, really well known, has been has been heard a million times, you can take those liberties and kind of really, uh, I wouldn't say destroy it, but, but really reconstruct the melody in a way that fits what is what it is that you're doing, you know. So, and, and again, this was kind of a, a, an arrangement that we just kind of came up on the spot. So a cool thing that happened here in, uh, on the fly was that I started playing the bass line and John, our pianist, just kind of started, you know, I'm just playing roots. So he decided to harmonize those roots however he wanted on the piano. So it's, it creates a cool kind of chord progression at the beginning. Um, you know, when I started playing the bass line, I wasn't thinking of a specific uh, chord progression. I just kind of hear, heard it almost like a melody. Um, so the last thing I want to show you here, um, it's actually one of my oldest arrangements. And uh, this one kind of, the, I worked on this one quite a bit. And I took some elements that were back to a pop song. And actually, it's, this is a Britney Spears song. <laughs> And uh, it's called Toxic. And one cool thing with this that I always fascinated me about this song, the melody is really cool, but it always had like this string sample that I found out later that it was actually sampled from, a, I think it was a Bollywood movie. So it has this, this, um, these strings that, that are part of the, the, the riff of the song. Now the entire song, that's what happens. There's one spot in the entire song, on the original I'm talking about, uh, that the strings go up. And that was always my favorite part of the song. My favorite riff because it only happened once and it's like, oh, that catchy moment that you're like, oh, waiting for that moment in the song. Now this song for years, I was, it was like a guilty pleasure for me. I couldn't talk to other jazz musicians about it until I found uh, Mark and John and I said like, hey, this song is awesome. They're like, we agree. 
and then I went and arranged it. <laughs> so what I did is I took that that string part that goes up, and I created this bass line with it. Um, now the melody is actually all there. It's a weird. It's it's in a weird. Um, it's phrased a little bit weird. I elongated it, um, but we're playing like a double time swing feel over this. And the funny thing is that when we played this live, some people would look at us and be like, oh, this sounds familiar, but we don't know where it is if we didn't announce it, you know? And then we would get to to the to kind of the chorus um, and we go into halftime, it's more similar to the original and people would immediately go like, that's what that is, you know? So uh, I'll play a little bit of it and I'll talk a second about it. So here it goes, toxic. Then we go into solos and we laugh, we cry, we knit a sweater. Uh, but in any case, that was one of the, the long, I think I did that arrangement maybe, you know, almost 15 years ago. And I had a lot of fun with that because it was really kind of an exercise for me to see how I could deconstruct a song and then put it back together in a different way. So what I did with the melody is... Um, you know, I took that, 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 um, ba -da 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 -dum, da -da -da. I simplified it a little bit of it. It's there, the melody is there. And I obviously harmonized it um, with kind of some power chords, more like, more closely related to metal than jazz in a sense, uh, which is part of my background anyway. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just wanted to do like, uh, you know, the, you know, the title of the song is Toxic. So I wanted to do something that kind of showed that. Uh, but that was, a, a, you know, basically just where, where I kind of really looked at the possibilities that you could, especially because a lot of people like the arrangement. So I was like, oh, this actually works. So which was good. And that's kind of why I'm talking about uh, arranging from my perspective. I'm not dissecting other people's arrangements because I would love to do that. But I can only talk about my creative process process because I know where all of this stuff came from and how I approach it. Um, again, that's just one point of view. And, and I wanted to kind of share with you guys all those things that work. So um, you know, always think of an arrangement, you know, thinking about the changing the groove or the feel, uh, changing the meter, you know, which affects the groove or the feel as well. You know, you can do some odd time signatures are really cool to play with. Um, I won't play that, but they did an arrangement of a song, um, Take Me On by AHA. Um, and it's in five and 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 i just had this realization that he that the guy the singer actually phrases the melody in five with a rest at the end so it's this kind of cool thing but if you want to check it out it's on you know you can find it on spotify we, we recorded it on an album um but uh i digress uh so changing the meter so you can play with that idea Changing the harmony, of course, which is the first thing I talked about. Again, that kind of change. All of these things really change the context context in which an existing melody is presented, which is kind of what arrangement is in a way. You know, you're making it your own. You're 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 reinterpreting reinterpreting the melody in your own way, 
or the song in your own way. Uh, and playing, you know, one, one thing, one um, piece of advice I would give uh, somebody that's arranging a song for a singer. Um, for years, I really approached it the same way as I, would, as I would arrange for an instrumentalist, which a lot of the times I would give them a very specific phrasing, but singers are emoting uh, lyrics as well. So sometimes they like to phrase things a little bit differently. So um, I started realizing that it would be better for me to arrange in a way that I would be able to give that liberty to singers uh, to phrase their own way, to make the song their own from the lyrical aspect, because I'm not playing lyrics, you know, I'm just playing a bass line or arrange the tune, but I am not the one in front of the band, you know, emoting these lyrics. Um, so that's that's something to keep in mind when you're arranging with a singer in mind, uh, especially as an instrumentalist, that sometimes, you know, I know I tend to ignore lyrics a lot of the times because I, I just get distracted by bass lines most of the time. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's a, a, something to keep in mind. And same thing for, for instrumentalists, you know, keep keep in mind how you know, the limitations of a given instrument, you know, if you're having a bass play a melody, you know, put it in a way in a, in a place of the range of the instrument that it actually is, it can make it sound to the best of the abilities of the melody of, you know, what the melody sounds and the instrument, because if you put it too low, it may get lost in the, in the, with all of the band. Um, if it gets too high, you know, it, it may not quite have as rich of a sound. So those are things to consider, you know, when you're creating arrangements. So, um, I think that's all I got for today. I could like, as always, I could talk for hours, but, um, I think this is plenty of information to investigate. Yeah, so so cool, Alejandro. Um, what what a what a great topic. And um, you know, I have a couple questions. You know, I, I love I love um, covers of music, and mm -hmm. and I always have. Um, there's something that um, is exciting to me and really appealing about hearing songs I love interpreted differently. Of course, then there are some of those songs that or or artists where I don't want to hear anybody else even try <laughs> to do something to my, you know, that artist for me. Yeah. Now, I would say that's few and far between. But I wonder, does that translate to in jazz as you're looking to reimagine um, things are there certain things that you you also wouldn't touch? Um, is 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 it as exciting to you to listen to different interpretations of music? Absolutely, I love listening to different interpretations. And you know, one thing as a musician that I wish I didn't have or <laughs> was to be able to turn off the switch of hearing music as a musician and just listen to be able to hear the music as a layperson because. Uh, I would be able to, you know, you, you, you have a critical ear when you become a musician. You, you, like I say, you tend to gravitate maybe towards certain instruments and stuff like that. So sometimes I wish I could just turn that switch off and be like, oh, I just want to enjoy this song for what it is. And But it, it has been a concerted effort of my part to be able to, like I said, like kind of like some music that would be considered... Um, it's not exactly what you said, but there's so, some of the pop music that I just presented. Some guys would, you know, would scoff at it and say, like, is this, are you kidding? You know, is this, is this, is this a joke? <laughs> this is not real music. Uh, some people would say that, but I, you know, I disagree. I think that I think if somebody is moved by some piece of music, it has the same value, regardless of where, where it comes from. Um, and that's kind of what I tend to go, tend to come from. So, Yes, I have. There's certain songs that I've loved that I've tried to arrange, and I'm like, man, I'm not. This is not even close. I mean, the original is so perfect that I, I really can't do anything with it, or you know, or I find myself having to change it so much that I'm like, ah, eh, might as well just do my own composition based on this, you know. Um, so yeah, there's certain songs that I've that I've tried to kind of do something with. And yeah, I, they're just performances too. One, something to think about too is that sometimes it's just what the performer created at that specific moment that was just so special. I, I was using this example recently with somebody I was talking about, uh, talking to about arrangements and 
some re-recorded versions by the same artist. You know, the, there's been a lot of, especially with some of the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, um, you know, there were some record deals that some artists just kind of, basically, they had no control over the music whatsoever after they recorded it. Um, so sometimes in order to kind of have their own version out there, sometimes the record label won't release it, won't re-release something in any case. So there's a few kind of like one-hit wonders that have re-recorded their, their songs, and it's the same people playing it, but it just doesn't sound the same. And there's just something to be said for a specific performance that's been captured in time, in the studio, you know, or live or wherever it is. And, and sometimes that, that's just, you know, to, to borrow a term from, um, that you, that's used in uh, sports a lot, the, it's the intangibles, uh, <laughs> you know, where it's just like, okay, yeah, you're playing all the right notes, you're playing this, but it's just not quite there. It's just not, you know, sometimes even the mistakes that are made on some of those older recordings before, you know, the studios made everything perfect, um, just those mistakes is, is exactly what makes it, you know, gives a song a specific uh, charm. And yes, so yeah, to answer your question, you know, uh, yeah, there's some stuff that I, I wouldn't touch, but there's other stuff that I love to hear, hear those songs through the filter of somebody else, you know, of somebody, somebody else's um, mind or, or ear, you know? Yeah, you know, the, the psychology of it's really interesting to me. I feel like we could do some sessions just on, you know, the appeal of, mm. of reimagining and covering music and um i don't know it's just uh i i there are songs that you know we all have a connection with at some point in time and then um you don't at another point in time but then if you hear it in a, in a new way you it immediately becomes fresh again and different and something for you in this point in time right and so that's that's happened to me where i found songs that i've completely lost touch with and I find myself listening to the cover or reimagined um, uh, track and just and, and enjoying it immensely. Yeah, absolutely. I think and I think that that just shows that beautiful thing of 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 how everybody perceives things differently. You know, I've always found it kind of funny when when uh, there's artists that complain about, you know, audiences. Um, interpreting their songs in a certain way they're like oh that's not what the song is about like well i mean unfortunately once you put something out there anybody can interpret it in any way you know and so that's that but that's the beauty of it you know that, that everybody gets to you know whether it's a it's a it's a, yeah it's a, it's a great thing you said there steve because i've had that experience too where i've uh, you have know, lost touch with a song specifically and then i hear it again and and hear it in a different way and it kind of makes me either appreciate the original more or just view it in a different way or sometimes even look at how much deeper the song was than i originally intended because sometimes certain arrangements you know original arrangements can take a song because they were like the hip thing at the time to do and they can take a song just just something as simple as the drum sound can change the meaning of a song you know to to a certain extent because it it it, it may put it in this box of of our of how we understand or where we understand that music to live you know one of my favorite songs is everybody wants to rule the world because it has this weird combination of you know you hear the production is like completely 80s it's like the quintessential 80s song but it somehow it just still sounds really fresh you know like there's something about it that's just like and I can't tell you what it is. You know, that's just kind of how I feel about it. And I've been listening to that song since, you know, since it came out, you know, <laughs> it's always, it's always kind of there floating in the air. Um, so yeah, it's a very interesting thing. The psychology of, uh, of music and how we perceive things. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I think that's really great. And I certainly have enjoyed listening to your interpretation of the songs that you've recorded it's been really cool and it, i find myself now when i hear songs from you know and my playlists and things 
from the past. Now I'm starting to think of, is La Lucha also listening to this and what would they do? <laughs> uh, maybe this is the next one. So I might have to start texting you every time I have one of those oh, feelings. Um, please do. No, please no, do. I, I wouldn't, I would never do that. But, but I, I, um, I just think it's, it's really neat. It's very fresh and I, I've enjoyed it immensely. So thank you, Alejandro, for being um, uh, part again of these, these, these series. I encourage everybody to go, um, check out the studio resource and watch or listen to all of these archive sessions or check out the podcast. And, um, you know, I look forward to, to having you back, hopefully Alejandro with some, some other topics and twist your arm to continue to be involved because I know that oh, absolutely. our, our community of, of, uh, support and the students, uh, really appreciate having you involved. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Steve. I, I definitely will stay involved. I love doing this. So thank you so much for having me. Very cool. All right, everybody, on behalf of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation, thank you for participating. Stay safe out there. Be well and keep playing. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This podcast series is presented by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. To watch the video of this full session, please visit the Education and Outreach page at clearwaterjazz.com and click on the studio. You can also learn more about the annual Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival tradition and Clearwater Jazz Holiday's year-round education and outreach at clearwaterjazz.com.